Nice. How's it going, everyone? The uh, Midnight Trade is here with uh, Mike Kroger, bass player for Nickelback, and once again, our good friend Pat Militich, UFC Hall of Famer, and uh, he just arrived on his trade right now, so welcome <laughs> to have you back. Yeah, sorry, sorry, man, that, you know, I live right by the river, the Mississippi River, and there's a railroad track goes on the other side of the both. There's, there's a real old highway that I'm on, and then the big highway, which is just a, a two-laner. Anyway, that's where all the trains go. So, sorry. I love it. No, all good. So, how you guys been with uh, – obviously, I've talked to you before, Pat, on here through COVID, but hopefully you guys are doing well. Your sanity's trying to kind of stay intact. Go ahead, Michael. So far, so good. Uh, yeah, like I was – like we were talking about before, you know, um, we, we got things going here. I – I had a major spinal surgery three weeks ago, so I'm um, I'm kind of you know I'm kind of down a little bit right now, recovering on that um, stuff, and uh, so that's that's given me a, a good focus, uh, you know, just a focus on the pain and, and getting better and trying to walk around and move around as much as I can and, and using this opportunity of downtime to to get get uh, stronger. What what part of your spine? What part of your spine? The lumbar. Or- uh, I did two sites actually. We did um, uh, uh, a complete disc replacement of uh, C5-6 and C6-7. And then we did a complete disc replacement of L4-5. And then we did a uh, fusion of L5-S1. Wow. Wow. So I, got a, I got a zipper in my neck here and, and one in my belly. They do everything from the front, which is really cool. Wow. Yeah, no, my C5 and C6. C6 and C7 fused together on their own. Oh, you got that natural thing. Okay, that's good. Good for you. The, the doctors, when I originally heard it, said that I had to, have, had to have surgery. It was mandatory. I went to a couple different surgeons, and they all said the same thing. Then I went to my cousin at John Hopkins, and he looked at my MRIs and said, I'm an idiot. I have to have surgery. And I didn't do it, and it, it did what they would have done anyway, fused together on its own. Is that what you were you were looking at fusion? Yeah, because the 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 some of the, the the like the guy I met here in the in the spinal surgeon I know over in Oz who who does this shit on the on the cutting edge kind of stuff. They're doing these complete replacements with these titanium discs that uh, actually you get more range of motion than than the original equipment. It's fucking crazy. Wow, that's incredible. Well, yeah, this happened so long ago that right, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I I didn't I didn't get that I didn't get that benefit. Yeah, yeah, I guess I waited long enough. Mike, so I guess we can jump into it. As a bass player, obviously, I don't think people realize when you're jumping around stage with a bass that can weigh how much does normal bass weigh in the years of doing it, the wear and tear of your body. is. Did you come to a point where you're kind of like, man, like, when did you realize that there actually is wear and tear in your body? A long time ago. <laughs> uh, you know, um, it, the, uh, it, you know, maybe it's just me, but... Um, <clears throat> I think I started off with a relatively weak body in the beginning and um, you know, I never really was that physical in my younger years. And then as we started doing this, coincidentally, I became more physical and more interested in, in violence and, and exercise and, as well as, you know, playing more and more. And my body just did start breaking down, you know, there, the, the estimates are probably that, that this, you know, thing has been on fire for about 20 years. You know, right. like I've, I've had these problems, uh, you know, because I, I had all these you know, all these conditions in my body that I couldn't understand why they were not getting better. You know, my hands felt like they're on fire all the time. My wrists and forearms were all fucked up all the time. My elbows, biceps, triceps were always really bad. 
and, and you know, and, and also my shoulders and, and my, my upper back were weird too. And, you know, we, tr I treat, you know, I got the, of course, all the smartest people around that, you know, are working on me. And then it just, you know how it works. You meet the right person and, and the right person kind of knows you. And I met a guy who was like, you know, this is all your neck, right? And I was like, what do you mean? This is all my neck. And he goes, all those conditions, all these problems you have are in your neck. You should go and look in your neck. You stop yeah. looking in your arms and your hands, look in your neck. And and then we did. And, and you know, it, it, it became abundantly clear through some testing that's, you know, like an EMG test, which I'm sure you're familiar with, Pat. It, it's just delicious where they put the electric needles <laughs> in your nerves and uh, see how they're working. That's just beautiful. But it does <laughs> tell a real story. It really lets you know what's going on. It, you know, it really inspects your wiring. And for you, Pat, how do you, um, obviously you've been injured and you fought through injuries, but at what point did you kind of realize that, hey, I should probably step back and get this kind of handled? Well, what happened to me was, and of course, over the years, you know, I've had neck injuries and other injuries, you know, training, but I was training to fight Frank Trigg and I got hit with a bomb left hook out of nowhere, we were kind of warming up and the guy that I was sparring with had re he's a really heavy handed guy. And out of nowhere, he cranked up a left hook on me and my neck crunched. Um, oh. and so I, so I took a step back and my left arm dropped and it wouldn't work. And so I said, um, I said to him, I said, let's pick it up the next round. Cause I was, I was pissed. I, I was, I was really angry. And so I rifled him with like six right hands right in a row right off the bat in the third round and crushed his nose and he had to have surgery. But my left side of my body atrophied. The muscles wouldn't work. Um, and I went and started to get, you know, get the MRIs and have different doctors look at them. And I just have – I swore to myself that if I didn't have to, I would never get cut on. So I rehabbed and rehabbed and rehabbed. I went to uh, Dr. Dave Juring at Palmer College of Chiropractic. And he was doing all kinds of crazy stuff with me, putting me, my body on its side in weird positions and then give it, putting pressure points on me and making me move certain ways that were really awkward to try and get new neural pathways started, right, and wake my, neuro, my, my nervous system up. And I just kept, I kept uh, rehabbing, you know, um, Kairos, um, my own. I built a, uh, I built a, a, a traction device. I took a, a traction device that I bought at a medical device place and I replaced all of the, the weak rope on it with paracord. And then I could put a carabiner on it and hook it onto a lat pull down machine and then pull the weight down and just rest my legs underneath the, the, the braces. And I could totally relax and let my neck stretch and do that with like 20 pounds type stuff because throwing a bag of water over a door on a, uh, it isn't going to work for my neck, <laughs> you know, my neck's not going to. So that's the sort of stuff that I was doing. And, uh, I've been able to get it back. My, I got hurt one more time and my right arm is now about an inch and a half smaller than my left. But I mean, I can still, I can still do everything pretty much that I used to be able to do. How hard is it to come back from, I know you hear pictures with Tommy John or someone like Anderson Silva that had that terrible injury and surgery. Does, does a fighter or an athlete or a, a musician, I mean, I can think of uh, musicians that get fall off stages and come back. They, they're kind of, there's something off about them. Is it that, that injury where they that mental hurdle where it's like, man, I'm no longer invincible? Is that part of that? Cervical spine injuries for, for athletes that are getting punched or football players or whatever. I, I was never the same mentally. 
I was never that guy. Even though I did a fight, it wasn't Michael Nunn and I, M Michael, who was one of the best, uh, probably for four years, I think he was the best pound for pound boxer in the world. He and I have been friends for years. We did a fight over the summer. Um, you know, I was, I was nervous going into it, but I rehabbed my neck like crazy. The big pull-up band, the pull-up assist bands, loop that around something and then put it around your head and it grips. So you can do all the rotation stuff and everything you want to do. So it, I built my neck up. He hit me with an uppercut right early in the fight. And I went, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm good. It didn't hurt. Nothing, nothing bothered me, but I was really never, I was never the same guy after the neck injury. And now, Mike, is there a fear with you jumping back on stage in front of the crowds again where it's like, is there like a, a, an added nervousness on your end where you might not move the same? I mean, you're not a guy that's jumping around, running around like crazy, but yeah. you do have that. I, I don't know. I don't, I've never really uh, felt really challenged playing live physically. You know, it's like, it's ne I'm, I'm never the guy like laying on the ground backstage gasping for air at the end of the show. I I'm a little fitter than that. You know, I, I can handle this thing. And the same goes for strength as well. It, it, I, I don't know. I don't have any real concerns. I mean, we'll see how it goes over the coming months. You know, when I move it, you know, just, you know, just uh, about a week ago, I was, I was in the shower and you know, how you get water in your ear. Yep. You move your head to the side. Like, well, I did that after, you know, 10 days post off. And I was like, oh shit, don't do that. that you know, that, your neck's fucking brand new. Like, don't do that. That's bad. And then wow. I realized it's like, it didn't hurt though. Like, it, it actually was fine. So I, I think there's going to be moments like that where it moves in certain ways. My neck and back move in certain ways that I'm, I, I'll be a little tentative. But, you know, as soon as I get back on the mat and stuff and start to actually strain it and, and work on it, that, that'll tell. You know, when I start doing jujitsu again, that'll tell a lot as, as far as neck and back go. For sure. Right. Yeah. Love it. Well, so it's like when people when when people get me in any kind of compromising position with my neck, I just I just tap. I just don't even mess around with it. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to like hang on through a neck crank anymore, do you? Yeah. You, you Not so much. How far that goes to get a fucking twister or something on you? You don't want to see how far you can go. Or no. No. Because I used to hang on through that shit. And, and just, you know, see how strong the guy was versus how flexible I am. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'll do that anymore. <laughs> That's a bit of masochism there. A little bit. <laughs> At what point did you guys kind of find, like, that love of – I mean, obviously with Pat, it's a little bit different because I've I talked to you before. But, like, it, when you guys found the, the concept of eating healthy and, uh, like, people could stay fit and be fit. And I know the cool thing with Mike, I think it was 2017 we were at the – I think the Iowa State Fair, they had those guys in those chipmunk costumes. But we, we had done a whiskey walkthrough kind of tour like the day before the show. Yeah. And Mike had got a ton of this whiskey and different whatever. But around 3 p.m., he went over the radio. Hey, guys, I'm emptying my – all the booze on my bus is outside my bus. Come grab what you want. I don't want it anymore. And at the time, I'm kind of like, oh, Mike's just going through like whatever. He doesn't want that shit on his bus. Because it was a lot of whiskey. A lot. And, and it was really good, too. Three Rivers is awesome. But me. you actually <laughs> kind of stopped drinking right there. So what yeah. led you to that moment to kind of make that health, like, that change? Uh, you know, I, I, I remember what happened. It was – so just prior to that, we were on a break. And um, I remember the last show before the break, I, I had a few drinks. You know, I, I would – I, I just love gin and tonic, right? So I'd have a few gin and tonics on the stage 
uh, during the show and typically get a little glow on and, and then have a cool one at the end of the night, you know, just to unwind or whatever. And by the end of the night, I'd be a little loose, you know, have a little bit of a, a buzz or whatever. No big deal usually. But the next morning when I woke up to go on that break to fly home, I was battered. I had never felt like that before. It, it, you know, I felt like ill, like unwell, like I needed a paramedic almost. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a uh, it wasn't any kind of, um, any kind of uh, hangover like I'd ever felt before. It was, it was debilitating. You know, I didn't know if I was going to be able to get up from my chair in the, in the, in the waiting lounge in the airport. Wow. Plane, you know, and, and thankfully I, I was able to get home, but then I, I did get home and I had to go see my doctor here in, in, in LA and, you know, he just said to me, he goes, you know, you're just drinking is not for you. Like, you know, looking at your, at your, your health, like this is not, you know, something you should do. And, and I just said, are you, you telling me to quit drinking? And he's like, he's like, yeah. And I just said, okay, well, I just, I just did. And he goes, what do you mean? Wow. Well, I haven't drank for a couple of days. I'm just not going to start again. And you know, that was two years ago. I, I just, yeah. I don't, you know, I, I, I liked it. Like, you know, that stuff, when we went to three rivers over there in, uh, in Fort Wayne, that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, that, that totally great booze too. Like nice folks, great booze. Uh, you know, and, and it kind of did hurt me a little bit to give that away because it was, it was kind of amazing guys. Like, you know, John, I know you witnessed this, but it was like, I, I rounded up all the alcohol on my bus. Right. And the crew was all working on site. We were at a venue. We were getting ready to, to get to get a show going. And and the crew was was all working or or in various states of working. You know, it comes in waves. And there's times when guys are idle or whatever. Um, but uh, I remember when it went over the radio, I was like, "Hey, everybody, uh, free booze in front of Mike's bus." Like I had taken everything out of my bus, put it in bags and boxes in the front of the bus, right? And then I went back on my bus and I made the call. You know that it was, there was free booze up there, and I remember I put the radio down, and then I walked out to the front of the bus to meet the guys who were going to come for the stuff. It was all gone, all gone. Everything's gone. It didn't. It didn't make it uh, two minutes. I still have pictures wow. of it. Me and Marty have pictures of it. We we're laughing. <laughs> yeah, you know, then if you want to get rid of some alcohol, uh, I tell you that's a that's a great way. To but go. it is cool though that you're able to kind of put yourself at like take care of yourself and really respect your body that way yeah i mean i i like drinking uh it, it's fun and, and i have a blast doing it but it, it just at, at a point i think it, it hopefully you know for people it gets to a point where you realize your you know the, the the cost benefit analysis you know what does it give me versus what does it take away from me and i was realizing that it was taken away from me more than it was given me. you know it just wasn't worth it anymore but how about you pat like when you're trading and stuff do you is there kind of like a thing where you could do what you want, but you have to put the time to make up for what you lose? Or how do you guys? Well, I, I, ha I had to quit drinking because I have, I, you know, for me, number one, I'm Croatian. So we have a <laughs> propensity to be a little crazy. Um, I mean, there's a reason that in 1593, the Ottoman Empire was stopped in its tracks in Sisic, <laughs> Croatia, bro. Like we're intense people. And I'm a, I, so that that's one thing. And, um, you know, the, the thing is, is just, uh, uh, I mean, I'm a guy that I, I'm balls to the wall with everything I do. Like I'm a hundred percent in. So me drinking is like, yeah, no, and my, and, and the biggest, yeah. And the biggest thing for me is, is I don't get hangovers. Like I could drink 
you have no idea how much I can drink and I'll wake up the next day and not a headache. My stomach's not upset. I could go wrestle for four hours straight. Um, and just, and so the, I, I, the, you know, so it's just not, yeah, dude, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not made for it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. I had that, I had that condition when I was younger, actually, I, because I, um, I actually started my drinking career in my late teens because I, it turns out I got quite a bit of Irish in my background speaking of, yeah. uh, you, know, and, 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 you know, that, that saying that they say that, uh, that, uh, um, why God invented whiskey is to make sure the Irish wouldn't take over the world. <laughs> it's working to this day, you know, but, uh, um, you know, it, 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 uh, it, it just, it, it, when I was younger, when I was in my later, later teens, um, and I started, you know, where, where I grew up, it was legal to drink at 18. Right. So, um, that, you know, and I was drinking long before that, but then we would play the, you know, I was starting to play rock shows and stuff in my 18, 19, 20, uh, uh, you know, and I remember I played a show on new year's Eve, uh, and when I was 19 years old and, and got paid in cash and I got, I got given more money than I'd ever seen, you know, it was like five grand or something like that i'd never seen that much money in my life and i was basically homeless i had nobody to worry about nothing to do except for take care of myself and be selfish and i just went on kind of a rampage binge and um it it culminated with me waking up in a you know one moment i was in a rehearsal and the next moment i woke up in a hospital and and you know and there and i you know you you wake up in a hospital like what happened and and i i had had a, a grand mal seizure epileptic seizure and um dropped and then they brought me into the hospital. And then, right then and there, I quit drinking until I was uh, 29 or 28 or 29. Pretty much my whole 20s, I didn't drink. Just because, like what you're saying about no half measures and, you know, uh, balls to the wall and all that. I'm a similar type yeah. of character. I don't I don't go partway into anything. So this is my second sort of um, try at, at not drinking anymore. And I, I really don't honestly think I'm going to go back to it. I, I had a little bit of curiosity of whether I could do it or not. And. You know, I and I was way better. You know, I wasn't like doing what I was doing before, or smashing up cars or whatever. But uh, um, you know, it, it wasn't good either. It, I was a little bit more more measured in my approach, but still was too much. Would you have, like say someone like Matt Hughes or Jeds or Tim Silver coming into the your training academy, Pat? Was there ever a time, or it doesn't have to be them, but fighters that want to buy into your system? What if if they were partiers or they're kind of crazy in that type of sense where they just want to let loose? Is it tough to train those type of people or do you kind of have to set parameters if they want to use your system? Most of the, most of the guys weren't like that at all. I mean, you know, go out and have some drinks after their fights type thing, celebrate a little bit. And then it was back in the gym. So I really didn't have to deal with that stuff. The one thing that I tried to do was, you know, because I growing up a wrestler and hanging out with wrestlers, you, you have a tendency to, have no problem when somebody tried to fight you. Right. And, right. and so before I was a professional fighter, you know, in like in college in wrestling, like we beat up half the Iowa state football team. I threw, I threw a, an all American linebacker, Mike Knox threw a plate glass window out of the restaurant and then went outside and beat him up more. So, you know, that's the sort of thing that I always, I, I would always say is listen guys. So now, now that you're part of a team, you know, we have to, we have to, you know, watch what we do because number one, you guys are very dangerous and you can kill somebody. And two, you know, you're, you're wearing the team now on, on your back. So you, you can't be going out beating up the townies, right? That's not, that's not cool. And there's, trust me, uh, there were plenty of people who'd be willing to fight you around here because 
<clears throat> hell, in the little town of Bettendorf, Iowa, even when I was the UFC champ, I was like the 20th toughest guy in town. Right. My town, my town has a bunch of animals in it. I mean, yeah. it really does. And so, uh, but like, you know, like one time, um, three of my fighters, Mike Sesnalevich, uh, Roy Markham and Ben Rothwell, they all went out one night and when they were leaving, um, there were some guys that, that were harassing some ladies outside the bar and Ben Rothwell said, Hey guys, leave the ladies alone. And he was actually very polite about it. The other guys said, yeah, man, Ben was trying to be cool about it. And these guys, um, decided that that as Mike and, and Rory and Ben got in their vehicle to leave, these guys had already gotten their vehicle and pulled up and blocked them into their parking spot. So they couldn't get away. And so now you got Ben Rothwell, who's 290 pounds, six, five Roy Markham, who's a, a striking machine and big Mike Sesnalevich, who's a 230 pound monster, all American wrestler and a black belt in jujitsu who could pull your head off your body. And so these, these, these guys decide that they're going to, they're going to, they're going to beat these guys up. So, um, <clears throat> they basically made real quick work of them. And Mike, Mike says, goes, dude, I didn't even get out of the vehicle. And these guys were all sleeping. I mean, just out destroyed. And, and two of them got finished with simultaneous head kicks. Oh, <laughs> and so the cops, the cops came, the cops came, and, and the dad, actually it was a Davenport cops that told me about this. Cause I trained, trained the Davenport cops quite a bit. So the cop goes, yeah, he goes, I got them in the back of the car and I'm looking at their licenses. All of them. I got, he goes, I got a guy from Wisconsin, a guy from Pennsylvania and a guy from Chicago. He goes, are you guys here training with Pat? And they go, yes, sir. And he goes, okay. He goes, so how do you want to spin this? <laughs> and they go, he goes, the cop goes, uh, so you guys, uh, you, 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 they confronted you, they attacked you, you defended yourself, and, and they're like, yeah, that's actually what happened, right? So anyway, then the, the, there's another police officer walking around with one of these guys in the parking lot with a flashlight, and Ben Rothwell goes, oh, sir, he goes, are they saying we had weapons? He goes, no, Ben, they're looking for their teeth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Poor guys. But, you know, I love that. So to get you, what you asked for, you know? Yeah, yeah. I know, Pat, we talked about the uh, before, like with COVID and how UFC has been kind of doing this bubble and fight island stuff. But from a mental aspect, is it tougher to fight in front of no one? And for Mike, is it tough to put on your show if there is no one watching or expect people in the crowd? Like, where's the mental, like, what's the difficulty doing that with no fans? Uh, fights are easy. Fights are easy because somebody's trying to kick your ass. Okay. I, I yeah. can't. I, I can't imagine trying to play a concert with nobody there. Yeah, yeah. The, I would think that it would be just. It would be a lot more like live sparring, hundred percent. You know, in, in fighting, not necessarily. Um, you know, worse or whatever. But yeah, with a rock show, it, it definitely is. Is you know, there's a there's a fluidity to what we do. We know what's going to happen. You know, and and it can be a little weird when there's no one in there. If you're just playing to cameras or something like that, it's pretty right. odd. And, and we get a lot of uh, we get a lot of feedback from the audience, you know, and you feel it and drives you to, to go harder and, and do more and do better. So without those fans, it's, it's I don't think it works as good. You know, I think a lot of sports that, you know, can be seen on television are, are good. Uh, um, but as far as like rock shows go, I think it's going to be kind of compromised. I don't think it's quite as good. Interesting. Yeah, I'm always curious because when you see, like, especially UFC now, all this 
even the walkout music with the live bands and the pyro, like there's something about it that you don't have the reaction when every time someone throws a bomb or a kick. It's just I've always just kind of curious about that. Well, calling, calling, I've been calling fights for quite a while now during all of this. Right. And I've got to be quiet because normally I'm analyzing and saying <laughs> what one guy should be doing and what the other one is doing right and things like that. And so I have to be quiet. And I, we actually had some people on Twitter going, hey, man, I wish you'd speak up a little bit, you know, act excited. I go, I can't. It's like giving instructions to these yeah, guys. Coaching. Yeah, yeah coaching. so, you know. He needs to get his head to the other side. And then you can yeah. get that complete information on, you know. Yeah. So if you, hear my, if you hear my voice go up, I got paid by somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. Does, watch, does calling those fights have, give you an urge to get back out there again? Or no, you, not you, at all. Okay. Not at all. I mean, when I fought Michael Nunn this summer in the kickboxing match, you know, I mean, I did that to launch my internet pay-per-view company. Yeah. I, have no de- I have no desire to get punched in the face. And I told Mike that. He goes, are you planning on fighting after this? I go, dude, I don't even want to do this. <laughs> I'm just doing this to launch my internet pay-per-view company. Right. Love it. Mike, how did you get down into the BJJ world? Is that something you've always kind of kind of – dabbled it or was there like a like a catalyst that kind of made you want to pick that art you know i can't really remember what happened um somehow i got introduced to somebody at the um carlson gracie school on the island of maui uh, and i don't know how that happened i can't remember who took me in there in the first place but i i did go in and oh i remember now i was taking my son in first that's right i was taking my son in to train and then and then i got hooked uh, and and from there it's just it's just been all fun with uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, you know. Now I, I train with Higa Machado here in Hollywood, and, and, or in he, he's in Beverly Hills, not far from my house. But I, I've trained all around the world with people, and I, I just I love it. I, I love getting on the mat with people wherever I can, whenever I can, you know, no matter what, wherever I am. Because there's so many so many great people out there to learn from, you know. So in, in almost every city in the world, there's a there's a high level person that you can learn something new from. Right. How how many years have you been doing jujitsu now, Michael? Uh, it's been on and off for for several. Uh, really, only on for real for about the last year and a half. And okay. You know, the, the trouble is, is, my music career kind of screws up my timing, so I, yeah. I can't really get the required amount on the mat that I need to do when I'm on tour. Uh, you know, it's it's hard. It's just really really hard to do. You know. Yeah. I mean, hell yeah. To be at home to do that, and and thankfully, you know, I've had a long enough break, and and you know, before before COVID came to get us, I was doing really well and getting on the mat, you know, several times a week and and getting going, and you know, I, I wear the blue belt now, and I was on my way, you know, getting getting things going, but uh, this has stopped me completely now. Just around here, you know, I don't feel safe training here. There's too many people. <laughs> For you, Pat. Do you still, like, would you kind of show up? Like, obviously, you might be the center of attraction, per se, but do you still have a rush of, if you're in a certain town, to trade or at least talk with someone that you kind of hold hot, like hold in high standard? You know what I like to do, to be honest with you, is I, I'll stop in every once in a while in, like, a martial arts school and just sit down and watch. Mm, right. Just be, just be a fly on the wall and observe, you know, how they teach, teaching techniques. Um, you know, are they good with kids? You know, that sort of stuff. My, my favorite thing to do by far is to teach. And I love teaching kids. I, I love, absolutely love teaching kids and, uh, and law enforcement and military as well. Um, and so I just liked, 
I like to watch. I mean, I'll get in and work out with people a little bit. I beat on the heavy bag still. I do, you know, functional fitness type stuff and things like that for, for my workouts. But I don't get in and get like get crazy anymore just because I don't want to end up raising my kids in a, from a wheelchair. No, yeah, you, that's, you've done right. enough, but you, you, you put enough uh, round time. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> I still, you know, the main thing for me is staying in shape um, and being able to throw punches, be able to move correctly, things like that in case I have to defend myself or defend my family. And, and that's really, that's kind of where it's at. And I'm, look, I wrestled since I was five years old. I can still wrestle pretty good. Right. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to push that. Uh, Mike, you actually kind of trade with Eric the Trainer and Billy Blanks. So yeah. working with guys like that, like how has that been for you for your kind of mental health? Well, beyond everything, really, those those guys have become my really good friends. You know, Eric the Trainer has become like a brother to me, and Billy Blanks is like he's like Uncle Billy now. And um, so, you know, I just I, I love these guys, but they, they've given me a, a real community. You know, like I've learned I've learned uh, that that I have a really really positive uh, community here in Los Angeles. So not just those guys, but a whole bunch of friends that come along with them. You know, just this whole um, sort of gym cult, you know, group that that we all hang out together and, and see each other socially as well as in the gym. It's great. Love that. To kind of step back, I remember uh, when last time we were in Philly with you guys years ago, uh, Renzo Gracie came to the show. Oh, yeah. And, the, yeah. and he was like, hey, here's my number. If you're ever in town, let me know. Well, I was there last summer with Shine Down. I texted him the morning off. I go, hey, man, I'm at the show if you want to come out. Like literally 20 minutes before these guys in the deck, he goes, hey, I'm backstage. Yeah. And I'm like, do you need help get in? He goes, oh, no, I talked my way back here. And I'm like, one, okay, two, I, this, you pro, I, I'd love to be a final wall here. This guy talked to some local security guy. Uh, yeah, they all know who he is. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the thing is, is like the venue it, you're talking about is actually, um, it's the PNC Amphitheater in yep. Wendell, New Jersey. See, he lives like, he lives like a quarter of a mile away from there. Like it's a light walk to his home from there. So he, he know everybody knows him and he knows everybody right there in, in Homedale. Like he's, he's fairly famous guy aside from the, you know, from the martial arts world there, everybody knows him. He's big in the community and everybody loves him. I mean, that's what happened when we played there. When I invited him out, I told him, Hey man, let me know when you want to come and I'll leave your name at the, at the gate with the security. And then I came out of my bus and the car was parked by my bus. Like, what do you do? And he's like, oh, I, I know all these guys. He's, just, you know, he's, a, he's a very, very fun guy. He's turned into a real dear friend. Enzo's a hell of a guy. Really love him. Now, yeah. Pat, can you touch on, is there actual drama between the Shadow family and the Gracie, or is that something that was kind of manufactured at the beginning? You know what? I, I have never even really asked about any of that stuff. Um, I thought maybe there was some right friction friction for a while between maybe the gracie cousins or something but i haven't really and the machados are great people I, I love the machados they've always been really nice to me i've always gotten along with the gracie family really well so you know besides the besides the fact that you know i i've never seen a crowd almost it was it was kind of a sad moment actually um when matt fought hoist in la and and dismantled him like he did um it was, it was kind of, I mean, obviously I'm rooting for my fighter, but it yep. was a, the entire crowd was just crushed. I mean, it, it like ripped their souls out. And, you know, the funny thing is, is we had done a movie previously with a Paul Walker film in Mexico, myself and a bunch of guys from my camp. And uh, we played bad guys in the movie, whatever. Right. And 
So we became real good friends with Paul Walker, a lot of the stunt guys, things like that. So Paul Walker was training with, I believe, the Gracies at the time. And he, he trained so, with, uh, with my guy, Hegan. He, he, he trained with Hegan Machado, yeah. Oh, did he? Okay. So he, yeah. he was a big fan. He was rooting for Hoist, and, and some of the actors that were there with him were rooting for Hoist. Yeah. But all the stunt guys, the blue-collar guys, are rooting for Matt, right? And they're in the row right in front. They're in the row right in front of Paul and all of his buddies. And I turn around <coughs> at the end of the fight, and I see all the stunt guys, Oakley, Lemon, and all his buddies, are all standing on their chairs freaking out. And Paul and his buddies are just going, oh, my God, like, what just happened? Yeah. You know, so, but, um, you know, besides that. And then it was, it was uh, so, but it was just a better athlete who was highly trained, much stronger, much faster. A guy that wrestled was a four-time All-American D1 wrestler. I mean, th that kind of animal you just don't you – know, you're not going to do very well against unless yeah, you are really, that. really, really, really ready to go and strong and everything else. Yeah, yeah. That was the yeah, that was a special time. I, I don't know anything about that about the beef between the Gracies and the Machados. I know that there's sort of always little skirmishes in the family, you know, usually over territory. Uh, but that, you know, that, that, that's going to come with, with anything. But that, uh, all I hear from them, you know, the, the, the ones that I speak with, uh, I see nothing but compliments uh, about each other no no you know they're, they're still a it, it might be one of those situations like nobody picks on my little brother but me because you know one of those right if you if you if you, you know target one gracie or one machado you're getting all of them they, they're, they're all coming for you you know they're, yeah. they're, they're they're still a family very much so. right i know mike sometimes after shows we would get the dressing room like we watched the big fight i think we've watched the conor mcgregor fight against yeah. uh God, who'd he knock out? The guy had like 30 seconds and was talking smack. But either way, like there's always that rush, whether it's box, boxing or MMA. What is it about that fight where it kind of brings everyone together? You might not be a fan, per se, of the sport, but you have to watch it. Is it because it's two males or females at the top of the game going at it? Or is it the primal instinct in all of us? I don't know. I guess it depends. I, I think Pat probably has a reason for, for loving it. I have a reason for loving it. But but for me, it's like it's one of the purest forms of sport because either either competitor can win at any time. That's what I love about it is, right. that, you know, no matter what skill level or training or whatever, you can put, you know, somebody well overmatched in their training against somebody else. And if they get a lucky one, they win. You know, it, 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 you, you never know. Anybody can win. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I just think, I think the spectacle side of it, when the names are so big, you know, that people are going to yeah. watch it. But, but on top of that, I think, no matter what, um, you know, fighting kind of mirrors life. You know, the hardships of life in a lot of ways. You know, and uh, when a fighter wins or loses, depending on who you're rooting for or whatever it is, you know, they, you know, it's. Uh, a lot of people are, are hopeful for people. They're, you know, they're, they're wishing. They, they, some people live their dreams through other people. I mean, there's a lot of people that go to watch Michael play, and it, it changes, their, changes their day, changes their life, you know, puts them in a good mood, uh, right. that sort of thing. And, and so I think sports, combat sports, you know, does the same thing for a lot of people. It's, it, it is what it is. But, yeah, it's, it mirrors life a lot. Now, you're both obviously are very uh, – it's not – the word opinionated is not the word. It's more – you're very both outspoken. You're very who you are. But you also attract side or people, haters, where they're kind of like 
all oh, your band sucks or shut up, Pat, stick to fighting. What do you know about, like, what are you talking about in your podcast? So I'm always fascinated with guys like you because you're unapologetically yourself. So how do you, like, what advice do you have for people that are kind of dealing with the, oh, these people hate me? Like, how do you, what, does that feed you guys? Or do you just to the point now where it's so dubbing? What do you think? Go ahead. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, for me, for me, it, it comes down to uh, the, the opinions that I do have on the subjects that I, uh, you know, have opinions on, you know, are going to be very polarizing. That's just the way it is, right. you know, and I, I've never been one to be quiet about things. And it is what it is, you know, and I've, I, again, you know, we talking, uh, I was talking to somebody earlier. And, I mean, for me, it was kind of a, I think it was a curse and a blessing that I was standing in line in 1971 at the Farmers National Bank in Albia, Iowa, during the, the rush on the farmers' banks when Nixon took us off the gold standard. At 3 or 4 in the morning, my mom and grandma got me out of bed early. Uh, took We went into town. We were the first ones in line waiting for those bank doors to open, and my grandma got $91,000 in cash out in 1971. Um, and so, you know, Something happened. Something happened. And I was always the kid sitting on the living room floor watching Walter Cronkite and pay attention to the news. And at some point I went, this just isn't sitting right with me, what they're saying, man. This isn't, this isn't sitting right. And, and that just led me to start researching a lot and training law enforcement and military and having a lot of friends in the intelligence world and all that sort of stuff. You know, you, you get to talk to people that know what's really going on. And, and so that's, that's just kind of, so people think that I'm a, a punch drunk fighter, which I may be, but I've also been, um, you know, I've been into geopolitical, geopolitical and domestic policy stuff for literally almost my entire adult life. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I don't, um, I don't share much on that level. I mean, you know me, John, and you know what I think about a lot of stuff, but right. I, I don't really share very much of it just because, well, number one, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't really, I, I don't know if, 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 you know, doing what I do is proper forum for this. And, and the other thing is, is that I don't, I think that a lot of the problems we have now are due to people just sort of, you know, kind of flippantly saying things, you know, that, that, that's the problem. You know, if, if you have beliefs or knowledge about things, I'm all about sharing that, but the whole hater community and the whole, that whole, uh, what do you call it? Phenomenon or whatever. It's just based on people just kind of throwing out bullshit. And, and so I, I don't want to be that. And at the same time, I, I, don't, I don't know how much of what I know is true. You know, that, that's, a, that's a, big, a big problem for me. Because like you're saying, you know, you know people in, in law enforcement and, and military and intelligence. And I know some people in there too. The more I get to know those people, the less I believe. <laughs> <laughs> How would social media have changed the trajectory or would it have changed, obviously, by, say, Nickelback and Twitter and all this stuff is crazy back in 2000 or, Pat, what you're going through with the welterweight UFC, like, do you think social media would have changed kind of the outlook people have on you guys or is this something that you're kind of glad you weren't a part of in terms of kind of like the rise of that? Um, yeah, I, well, let's put it this way, how I feel about social media, even though – I do entertain conversations with people on there. Um, I tell my kids. <laughs> it's <laughs> a great my, Twitter feed. <laughs> I stir the pot on purpose, bro. You know that. <laughs> so, um, look, people are, people are either going to like me or hate me. It doesn't matter. But, uh, no, I tell my daughters, my 16-year-old and 18-year-old, I tell them both. I go, don't leave a digital footprint. 
don't do you do not want to do that not not when the surveillance and stuff that's coming comes down the pipe you know you you just don't want that out there so they i think they do a pretty good job of not not expressing themselves or anything and you know so that, that's a good thing yeah good and you mike obviously your kids are older now and so yeah. that's got to be something where you're kind of like toe that fine line between they're actually adults now versus i'm still your father yeah, they, they, mine are 17 and 19. And, you know, they, they've, like yours, Pat, have kind of grown up in this world of social media and, and that, that whole thing has kind of grown up with my kids. And I think they're starting to figure out, you know, and, and over the last few years, they're figuring out that, you know, so much of this stuff is, is it's just not real. Like, you know, basically anything you see on your phone isn't real. You really right. have to remember that. You know, this is this is all groomed. This is all curated to, to for you to convince you of something. And, and right. so I think you just you have to teach kids how to be discerning and, and 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 other people, not only just kids but everybody. Just be careful what you believe because there's so much stuff out there. You know, so much stuff out there that appeals to so many people that if you're not careful, you can end up believing some pretty wacky shit. No, I hear you. So the part where I'm kind of this discuss part of the discussion where I'm kind of excited is this idea of I've always been someone where like okay, drink your water, stay hydrated, but like I didn't really get down into the the importance of eating healthy and like the if you if you are hurt, there are organic ways of kind of improving your health, whether it's the uh, uh, multivitamin stuff, but. In talking with you, Pat, last time, this product you're part of that I've been trying last week and a half or so is kind of mind-blowing. At what point did you kind of jump into that, hey, I don't want to use what the doctors prescribe me, but there's stuff out there where it's literally from the earth that we can actually use for our own bodies? Well, I mean, you know, for, and I, I told you this before, I think, but it's important for people to understand that my – my experience having been a professional athlete and a coach for a lot of professional fighters and, and a broadcaster, I've been approached for so many years by so many companies um, that I became a label reader and pretty, pretty wise to fillers and, and garbage and things like that, that I didn't want to put in my body. So uh, many, many years ago at the start of my kickboxing career, before I became uh, uh, UFC champ and all that garbage, um, <laughs> I, I basically, I got approached by a friend who said this increases oxygen. And at the time, I knew a little bit about supplementation, but very, very little. And luckily, he was a very good friend. He was a former Mr. Uh, Universe, Mr. America, Dale Ruplinger. And he said, hey, this adds 20% more oxygen at a cellular level. So thereby, you won't build up as much lactic acid in your muscles. And when you, you, know, when you run out of oxygen in your muscles, they start to burn sugar for energy. The byproduct of burnt sugar in your muscles is lactic acid. So... I said, all right, I'll give it a try. And about five days into that product, I was sparring with really high-level pro boxers at the time. And I realized where I would go four rounds and be gassed, absolutely gassed. And because I had a respiratory, I have respiratory damage from black mold growing up in the basement of a house uh, that, that flooded every time it rained. So I, I, I've, just, I've had damaged lungs for forever. Well, all of a sudden, I did 10 rounds, and I wasn't even tired. And I went, what in the hell is going on? This product might be working. So I, en I ended up staying on that product through my kickboxing career, through my entire MMA career, and got all my fighters on it. 
and made them swear to secrecy to never, never let that information out because we were known for our endurance. We could train like madmen and we could recover, recover, recover. So anyway, <clears throat> excuse me, my, my friend called me and he told me about this product and he said it's 45% more oxygen at a cellular level. It's totally plant-based organic. And they use no chemicals in, in removing the fulvic material from this 60,000-year-old bog mud. And that, the minute he said 45% more oxygen at a cellular level, I went, it's over, man. It is game over. This is going to change everything. World records are going to fall. Uh, this is going to be nuts. Get Yes, I want it, and I want it now. And so my kids' practices totally changed. Uh, Ten days into it, without having done any real running for – over a year, I did 22 miles on, on Memorial Day just to honor the veterans. And I, I said, I'm going to be sore the next day. I'm going to be hurting. Woke up the next day, was hardly even sore at 54 years old and went and did a five-mile recovery run. Hmm. Uh, so I, if the things it's doing, John, is I, I can't even wrap my head around what this is doing for people's health, um, from, from people with diabetes to cancer to um, you know, rheumatoid arthritis to athletes to across the gambit. Because you're simply putting in your body what you're supposed to have, what we're all supposed to have, but we've eaten food, we've grown food in the same soil for so long that it's void of any real mineral content. So the minerals that you buy on the shelves most of the time are man-made. They're not even real. They're not organic, so your body's not going to absorb them. So that's right. why this makes such a huge difference is it's organic. So for you, Mike, did, I know we kind of talked off the record before uh, like when you cover your surgery, whether it's pain medication or stuff like Percocets and Coumadins, all that crap, I got kind of hooked on back in college. It, where, where are you kind of at in terms of if you could do it organically, like you want to go that route, obviously. So if, if there are stuff out there where you're kind of like, maybe I should try this or how do you decide what supplements you kind of put in your body? You know, I, I've just been kind of, so far just been going with what works and trying to keep it simple you know um i think i think if, if you have the the financial ability and the will you you can get out there and try damn near anything you know the, the, everything's out there for a price uh, I, I just i think i think for for me it's keeping it simple and, and making sure that what i'm quiet cat uh my cat's just being an idiot uh, um <laughs> uh, i think if you're you just have to listen to your body and, and try, you know, try things. I'm willing to try things all the time. Like when you showed me that, that product, I'm like, yeah, shit, I'll try that. And, and if I see a result, you know, like an out, especially an outside, outsized result, then, then of course I'll, I'll continue to use it. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll try anything. See, you know, try it. And it, when I, so I started about 10, though tomorrow will be the 10th day. And it's twice a day. I do like the, quarter of a teaspoon or whatever that yeah half a teaspoon half a teaspoon twice a day and the first two days i'm kind of like man there's like this weird this talky kind of like talky kind of taste i'm like whatever but as i i do it now like my it's almost like as soon as i drink it like a half hour hour later i feel like i've, I've been able to maintain kind of what i was leading up to that before i had to drink it and it's like this weird kind of my sleep pattern feels amazing but I just feel like I haven't drank any energy drinks. So when I started this, I wanted to see if I would still need energy, like like that superficial bullshit to kind of whatever. But I feel like I've just maintained kind of like the steady – I just feel great. Now, I haven't yeah. gone any runs per se, 
but the mental aspect of just drinking that twice a day and measuring it out, like there's something very therapeutic about it. That's good. No, it's it, you start, start pushing your workouts. Trust yep. me, start pushing your workouts. And the reason it works so well is it's, it's number one, again, organic and plant-based. Can you it's, tell me more, Pat, about what this stuff is? Yeah. So, um, by soul, uh, <laughs> a friend of mine, uh, up in Canada, who's been, he, he, they call him the mud man. He's, he knows more about mud than any human on the planet. Right. So he owns, he owns bogs in Canada, swamps. He buys swampland. And so he figured out a way because fulvic and vulvic minerals and acid normally come from inorganic sources like volcanic rock, volcanic ash, things like that. Right. So they have to use harsh chemicals to get the fulvic and vulvic material out of those rocks. Well, this is organic to begin with. It is 2,000 types of uh, decomposing plants that have decomposed for 60,000 years. So this stuff has been there forever. So he takes it and doesn't use a chemical process. He uses a CO2 uh, pressurized process and a freeze-drying process to basically um, get, get the, 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 the real nutrients of this mud into a powder form in these bags and they've got they've got other stuff too that's just all fulvic material it's one product but anyway so it's nanonite in size so it can travel in and out of the cell walls and as it goes into the cell it delivers oxygen and nutrients it's got 60 times its carrying weight to do that and then it's got 60 times its carrying weight to remove heavy metals toxins and even viruses from your cells now i had a doctor confront me about that that statement about viruses. And he goes, you can't make statements like that. I said, I absolutely can. There's documented research on this product. And so I said, go, go read the research. The doctor went and read the research. He said, I stand corrected. You're right. So, um, on its, and, and then it activates the mitochondria, which is the furnace of the cell. So it gives you steady energy. And I, I think I probably said this to you last time, John, I talk like this all day long. Like I literally can talk like this all day long to people. And I just, I have no, I have no reservation about telling people about it because I know what it does. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I've had more damage to my body. I've, I've injured every joint on my body, my spine, uh, numerous times. And I just, rel I just don't, I don't wake up with aches and pains. I, I can breathe perfectly. I feel like I'm breathing through a, a giant piece of PVC now instead of through a tiny straw. Um, so it's just, it's literally changed my health and, you know, it, I have to say this. I have to say it every time I do any kind of these videos is we do not treat, cure, or prevent any diseases or sicknesses. I have to say that. Um, but my, bro my brother was diagnosed with stage four mantle cell lymphoma, a very aggressive form of cancer uh, at the very end of June, came to my house July 4th, and was so jaundiced and skinny, um, weighing 169 pounds at six foot five. Um, that he looked like he was, he was dead within a month. He was, he was in trouble and I got him on this product and his blood work came back in three months time. Now the doctors, now he's gone and done a couple, two chemo treatments as well. Um, but there's zero trace of any cancer in his blood anywhere. And long before he started chemo, his blood work, his white blood cell count was off the charts at 70.5, which meant he had massive infection in his body. After three weeks on the product, his blood work came back at 2.5. His red blood cell count was at, I think, 85, he said. And now, now it's up. 
in the perfectly normal range. 13 to 14 chemicals in his body were completely out of whack. Now they're all in the perfect range. Um, it's, it literally, it literally, I mean, I sit there and I say to myself, um, potentially I saved my brother's life. And that, what, what the hell more could you give to somebody? You right. know, then, so again, what I'm saying is, is this coming from a bog, from mud, this is what, this is what our bodies are supposed to have in them. That's why the human condition is so destroyed right now is because we don't get anything from the soil anymore. We've grown food there so long that it sucked it all out of it. So, you know, that's the thing is why people are going, oh, my God, this is people with COPD, people with asthma, people with diabetes, um, athletes, like I said, all across the board. I get testimonials back every day, and people are going, this is this is absolutely insane. What the hell is this stuff? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Mike, are you still vegan? Uh, no, I'm just vegetarian. I, I, I actually I moved past vegetarianism too. I'm eating the fishes now. Okay. The pescatarian, I guess you call that. Because I remember, I'm not sure where we were, but you would start doing it, and then your vegan guitar or bass straps would come in. Yeah. And I'm like, man, this is actually a true vegan. Like you're not one of those. I don't eat steak, but I wear a leather belt. Well, I, yeah, I, I you know I, I uh, I've kind of backed off on all that um, to a degree. I mean, I'm still using the vegan straps, but that's easy. Um, the best shoes are still made out of leather, unfortunately. You know, uh, there, there's certain things that are just they're just gonna be. But um, frankly, it's it's as simple as animal welfare for me. You know how I feel about all that shit, John. Yep. We we hung out with the Sea Shepherd people together. I I don't. You know, I I I don't not eat meat because I don't like it or because I think there's anything wrong with it. I don't eat meat because the only way I would eat it is if I kill it. And I just don't hunt now. You know, I just, I'm just not hunting. Whereas that, that could all change. And, and then maybe, you know, maybe one day or, or maybe I'll learn how to field harvest cattle. I don't know. But that, that's the only way I would go about doing it. Just because the, the system that we, that brings us our, our meat now is, is just horrible. Horrible. Yeah. 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 Fascinating stuff. Yeah. I'm always kind of, I, I don't feel bad for people. They're like, well, I'm losing, I'm heavy or I, I'm tired all the time. Well, there are stuff up there you could do perfectly free. And the fact that people don't even do that type of stuff, it makes me kind of feel like this sense of anger, kind of like, man, I can't, I can't even spend time feeling bad for you because you're not even putting the time in yourself. Right. 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 And, that, and that's so what we my, all have to do. We all have to look after our vehicle. You know? Right. It, 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 this is, this is, this is what we're in charge of here. So, you know, keeping it healthy and strong and, and, um, and, and taking care of it is, is that, that's, I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't, but so many people don't. Right. 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 So Michael, you'll have to get me uh, your address and I'll have some, some, uh, some black oxygen sent out to you. Oh, awesome. That'd be, I'd love to check this out. Might yeah. be part of my, uh, part of uh, speeding up my healing process. Uh, it's it, it. I think it will help, my friend. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah, when you mix it though, it look, literally looks like a black soul, just in liquid form, where it's just like, what is this Halloween? It's it's very uh, it it does look off putting, um, but I actually kind of buy the. I actually like the taste now. Well, well once you is, feel is, once you feel the effects, yeah. Right. Is this uh, is this a person who who's kind of a. Uh, harness this thing i used to use a product in canada when i lived back when i lived in canada i used to use a product but it was a it was a mud soak like they had a, i had a product that was mixed with pine and a bunch of other stuff and this bog mud stuff yep that's I used to that, soak in that now yeah. now he he figured out a way 
to make it so that you can put it in your body instead of on your body so it heals. So you can put this powder in your tub if you want, and it'll soak in through your skin to heal as well. But you can put it in your body and heal from the inside out. Cool. Cool. So you'd reckon that's the same guy? Uh, his name is Mark Saint Onge. He lives yeah, in Quebec. I don't, I don't know the name. I don't know the name. It's been many years, but I remember using that that product, and I can't get it down here. Anyway. Yeah. Well, they he he started out uh, packaging mud in his garage and shipping it out. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. So how does someone? And I love that we're talking about this mud. How does someone like that kind of find out about that? Now, is this person doing research like you are, Pat or Mike? Like, how do you? How do you fall upon this stuff where it's like, yeah, good question, John. Well, he, he, um, you know, he's been in the mud business for 30 years. He knew about the European spas, the mud baths, all that okay. for 30 years. And so he just, he had to put his mind to it because companies were using chemicals to suck uh, the fulvic and vulvic material out of rocks and this and that. And he said, if I can just figure out a way to have no chemicals in this process, I'm going to change people's lives. I, I will literally change people's lives. And so he finally figured it out. And I, I honestly think he should be nominated for a Nobel prize. That's how powerful this is. That's, I mean, it's, it's absolutely incredible. But the, we could hit on big pharma too, because you would think there is a trepidation on their part where they don't want this kind of get out, out because now you're kind of taken away from all this chemically enhanced stuff that they were prescribed to us. John, we do not treat, cure, or prevent any diseases or sicknesses. <laughs> that's all I – I just have to keep repeating that, buddy. I just have to keep repeating that, and that's, you know, that's the main thing. Hey, look, there's going to be millions and millions and millions of people who are going to continue to take pharmaceutical products. They are going to. Uh, they, they will never have their minds changed, and I'm okay with that. That's their life. They must live their life the way they want. I, I choose to go a different route, and I – I swore to myself that I would I would go to the grave having never been on pharmaceutical products. Yep. Good. No, I love that. Yeah, I remember back in college when I broke my hand and collarbone playing lacrosse. They gave me like these Percocets or maybe Coumadins, but they're like, we'll take two a day. But they gave me like literally 30 days worth. And for like the first week, I was like, man, this feels great. And I started taking them. And then I went through that whole pack probably within two weeks just because that fault, fake sense of whatever. Yeah. And when you go back in the check, like, well, do you want more? Like my buddy at the time was like, man, I don't know. Like my roommate, he's like, I don't know if you should really like, let's, I don't know if you need it. Like, you don't look like you're actually paid. I think you're just taking it just because you can. And it makes you feel like this false sense of whatever. Just fascinating you, stuff. You're, you're taking Coumadin? Coumadin? Or, uh, Coumadin. Uh, well, I don't know if it, it was Percocet. I think it began with. I think it began with a C too. Oh, okay, okay. Some sort of some blood thinner. So I was like some thinking, some sort of oxycotton though. Yes. Oh yeah, like oxycotton Percocet. One of those. Yeah. Oh okay. Oh I see. I understand. Yeah, yeah. Pain, pain, like opioid, some kind of. Yeah, opioid. but it was, it's just crazy how like just take this, you'll be fine. And it's like I feel fine, but what happens when I'm off of it and I still miss that rush of that false sense sort of being super healthy? Yeah. 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 Straight from the poppy fields of Afghanistan. Yeah, I love it. Daisy cutter. <laughs> so I want to thank you guys for this. This was a blast. Um, I, uh, I do appreciate it. And it's cool kind of talking about stuff that subject matter that I really don't know much about. But you two obviously 
And the fact we can learn about different stuff has just been awesome. So I can't thank you guys enough. No, thank it's been guys. my honor and pleasure to meet you, Michael. This is yeah, awesome. Nice to meet you, Pat. We should do a uh, a thing where well, Mike and I can, but once we start doing, we'll pick a day to start the the uh, bud, whatever, and uh, we'll kind of like every week or so kind of see what we're doing. Like, how do you keep track of that, Pat? Like, how do I? If I want, I can run an extra mile. I can run extra two miles. Like, how do you track? Uh, track your heart rate. Track your speed. Your per mile time and your distance. And my base playing. Yeah. yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah, no, and that's the thing. I, I want so your neck probably got screwed up from that strap for so many years, huh? It it, it could be part of that. It could be genetic. It, you know, it could be other things that I've done, you know, whatever. Snowboard crashes. I don't know. It, 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 any <laughs> right. any number of things it could be for sure. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, well thank you guys. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Stay okay, in touch. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.